Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Major League Fantasy Baseball Radio Show on Blog Talk Network. It is Sunday, May 19th, and I am your host, Cole Friel, filling in for Brian Roach. Today we have the uh, normal accoutrement, uh, the normal schedule for for the normal show. We will have uh, news and and injuries uh, first. Uh, We'll be dealing actually with some some trade deadline. Uh, Looking forward, I know it's a little early for that, but we'll be looking forward on that. Uh, we'll deal with some pickup hitters. We'll deal with some streamers. Uh, also, some series previews. Um, our, our two guests will, will bring a little bit to the table on each of these subjects, and so I'll bring on those uh, guests now. Um, my first guest is, is Joe Iannone. Uh Joe has been a writer on MajorLeagueFantasySports.com uh, for a while now. Um, Joe, how are you doing today? Um, anything you want to you want to start us off with? Anything that's uh, on the top of your mind right now? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on the show too, by the way. Um no, I'm I'm doing all right. I I I got friends of my daughters out in the backyard right now cutting limbs off the tree that's hitting my house and uh I'm not out there supervising, so that's making me a little nervous considering that tree is right above my head right now. But hopefully they'll be fun. Um I hear chainsaws and stuff, so um that should turn out all right. <laughs> no no one gets hurt or falls off the roof, I'm happy. Yeah, all all's well that ends well. Um, and then our, our other guest, uh, before we get into today's show is Brian Lurz. Um, Brian works, uh, with us as well as Real Deal Dynasty Sports. Um, Brian, uh, welcome to the show and why don't you just tell us a little bit, uh, about how you're doing and also, uh, what you're working on either, uh, with us or with, uh, with Real Deal Dynasty. Yeah, thanks, Cole, for having me. I'm excited to be on the show today. Uh, as far as uh, my work with uh, Major League Fantasy Sports, I'm gearing up for the June draft. It's coming up in a few weeks, and uh, that is uh, I'm going to be working with a couple guys with, on the site to kind of break down the draft after that happens. And I believe I'm going to be on the show right after that, that um, right after that draft too. To I'm sure we'll spend some time talking about it as well. So uh, that is really what I'm gearing up for right now. I, I didn't I haven't been writing during the in season though. I did um, give a lot. Of, of input in the beginning of uh, the pre uh, the preseason with uh, rankings and, and so forth. So it's been good. It's allowed me to spend some more time with the family as well as uh, work on developing the real deal dynasty sports, which is um, going fantastic. And I for those of you that are not familiar with it, there are deep dynasty leagues and we do baseball, football, and basketball. And we're obviously full steam in the baseball season and, Two of my three teams are actually uh, look like the playoff down too, which is excellent because typically in my dynasty leagues, I tend to rebuild and rebuild because I'm so fascinated with prospects. But actually looks like I'm over the hump on two leagues and can win some money and, and hopefully uh, at least break even for the year with all the money I spend on fantasy sports uh, so that my wife stays off my back on that. So <laughs> um, and obviously football season coming up and um, that's, uh, you know, exciting because we're already – uh, into the the, uh, the preseason activities with that, with um, contracts and extensions, all that kind of good stuff. So, yeah, our leagues are full and getting ready to um, that, that that season already, and just excited about talking baseball with you guys tonight. 
Yeah, thanks for all that, Brian, and, and thanks for joining us on the, uh, the show today. Um, before we get into the, the meat of today's show, I'd like to remind our audience about our partner, Thrive Fantasy Sports. Uh, Thrive Fantasy offers a, a different model for the daily fantasy sports game. Um, if you're uh, aware of the, the salary-based daily fantasy model, uh, this is prop bets instead from Thrive Fantasy. Uh, you can go to thrivefantasy.com or go to majorleaguefantasysports.com and click the Thrive Fantasy link. Um, if you put in the promo code MLFS, they will match your first $10. That's thrivefantasy.com and the promo code MLFS. Um, if you are a fantasy football player, majorleaguefantasysports.com uh, does have openings in our football leagues. Um, these are highly competitive leagues, and we try to find the right fits for these leagues. Um, if you feel that you would be uh, the right fit, you can email Corey D. Roberts at majorleaguefantasysports at gmail.com. That's majorleaguefantasysports at gmail.com. And if you like the work we do here, um, either in writing or on the show, you can go to our Patreon account. It's patreon.com slash majorleaguefantasysports uh, to donate. That's patreon.com slash majorleaguefantasysports. Um, so uh, when I host the show and I go through uh, the cycle from the, from the last um, you know show we did, uh, in this case it was Thursday, a show I did with Kyle Amore, uh, I like to look at some of the new news, and I think compared to a lot of weeks, this to me felt like a a, a fairly slow news cycle, at least uh, since Thursday. And when I went through MLB trade rumors, I saw three different reports about uh, one team or the other looking to buy or sell at the trade deadline. Um, so even though it is a little bit early, being that it's the middle of May, I felt that it might be the time to start uh, considering some of these buyers or sellers. Um, so I'd like to go to Brian first. Um, and Brian, if you just have any, any thoughts on, on the trade deadline, uh, a, a team you might think uh, is a buyer, team you might think is a seller, um, maybe even what they may be, might be looking for, uh, go right ahead. Yeah, so um, first thing that comes to mind is San Francisco, and I would imagine they'll probably be willing to sell anything that's not nailed down at this point because they just need some assets to, to rebuild that franchise. They have a lot of aging vets that have done a lot of good for them over the years, but it's time to, I think, uh, kind of break that down and start over again. They really don't have a lot of talent coming up in the minor leagues. So that first one on that list, really the one, only one I really want to talk about is Madison Baumgartner, which I'm sure that many people expect him to get traded this year. And I think he, uh, I, I think there's a very high chance he will as well as he's in his contract year. And heating that up even more is the fact that uh, recently he gave San Francisco his list of eight teams for, the no, for his no-trade calls. And the importance of that is all eight teams are contenders. And it wasn't because he doesn't want to go to these teams, except he wants to have leverage of which one he goes to. And so it was just more of a power play that basically hangs those teams up against, um, against the Giants so that he can kind of choose his own destination uh, as much as possible or just ride out the contract and sign with it, whoever he wants to next year. Uh, on the plus side, we all know what Matt Bum can do uh, in the playoffs and in the World Series. So really any team is going to be interested in them that's in, that's in, the, um, that's in the pennant race this year. On the, on the downside, he obviously has been declining the last couple of years. And I was wondering whether or not it was just due to injury, but I'm worried because his velocity is down. And his um, and the drop on his cur- on his nasty uh, change up is 
is also um, is also a lot less than it used to be. And it's definitely something to be concerned about that he just isn't going to be the same guy he used to be. Um, but I still think you're going to see a couple contenders that are willing to take that risk, especially as he shouldn't be overly expensive uh, as, as his contract is up. Um, he is going to be someone that has that experience and can slot in there maybe uh, as a as number three guy in your rotation in the postseason. And because of that experience, you know he could always go out there and pitch a gem uh, when, when the season's on the line. So um, he's some guy, he's one that I expect to move and should be interested to see how that heats up uh, heading up to, to July. And as far as the buyers, um, I think the, the one that comes to mind the most is the Milwaukee Brewers. Matt Bum could be in the cards for him if he's willing to go there. But I think that um, the bottom line is uh, Sandy is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Lee Albert Einstein said that. And the Brewers, if they're going to go into the postseason again, or at least the postseason chase this year and not address the starting pitching, they should expect to lose again because, yeah, they had a great bullpen last year and they, they worked the, the opener thing to their, um, you know, the magic with that last year. But it finally caught up to them towards the end, the guys were getting burned out by pitching all those innings late into the year. And um, quite frankly, not all of the pitchers have been doing what they were doing last year. Uh, namely, Corbin Burns is not doing his thing in the bullpen like he was last year. And uh, Shasin definitely is not pitching the same level he was last year. Casey um, Anderson, you know, you know, he's pitching all right right now, but he didn't even make the rotation coming out of spring training. So I don't think that they have a really good um, – plan for their pitching going into the pennant run. So I would be shocked if they didn't go after a um, frontline starter going into into July and Mad Bum again to be one. And I would think that uh, the Mets, because they don't look like they're going to contend this year, anybody not needing a Grom could also be a possibility of going over to Milwaukee. Yeah, a couple of really interesting points. Um, I'm going to go to the Madison Baumgartner thing first. Um, because you had the exact same take on the situation as both me and Kyle did, and I think everyone else has universally throughout uh, our world, in that um, Madison Bumgarner's list of teams that he does not want to play for, quote-unquote, is not uh, as it would seem, but, but rather you know a bargaining chip, as you said, the ability to say, um, well, these are the ten most likely teams uh, to trade for me, and if you want to make, or eight or ten, however many it is, and if you want to make a deal for me, uh, you're going to have to get me to consent to waive that right. Um, they can still ship them off to, you know, out of the contenders, maybe like Tampa or Oakland, uh, you know, but, but the reason he leaves those kind of teams off of the board is because they're traditionally teams that don't uh, overspend as much for veterans or spend it all uh, really for that matter. Um, so, yeah, Madison Bumgarner, obviously a guy who's, I think, going to be on the move at some point because, you know, the Giants need to rebuild and, and start recouping some of these assets. And, and while Madison Baumgartner – um, isn't going to be sold at the level he would have before this decline started, uh, as as you put it, and as I think it's it's fairly put. Um, you know, for one, play uh, ownership GMs do pay for playoff performances, and Madison Bumgarner's uh, World Series performance from a couple of years ago is one of the better, you know, pitching performances in the World Series and in the playoffs that we've seen in the last several years. Um, and I think that's got to bump up his value a little bit alone. Um, you know, he doesn't need to necessarily show he's healthy enough to be that pitcher, 
Um, but he does need to just continue to show that he's healthy enough to continue to be a, a solid pitcher. Um, and I think he's someone who um, has a reasonable chance of being moved off. Um, you bring up the Mets. Obviously, the Mets were in a situation where, um, I mean, they clearly weren't folding it at the beginning of the year. Um, they gave up a top prospect to bring in Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz, um, shelled out some money for, for Wilson Ramos. Um, but but I do agree with you. The more the season continues and continues uh, to go south, or at least if it you know continues south of 500 as we get uh, deeper into the season, I think it's more and more likely that they they look to sell. You know, um, it, it's hard to to sell off players a lot of the times, especially when you don't want to give off the uh, we are rebuilding beacon of light. But at the same time. Um, as much as he struggled a little bit in terms of ERA, Zach Wheeler is a very good starting pitcher, and I believe he's on a contract here. Um, if you intend to sign him for the amount of money that would make make you know Degrom and Wheeler one of the highest paid top two in baseball, you know that's that's all fair and good, and you know more power to them. But if they're not absolutely willing to break the bank to make sure that Zach Wheeler stays on this team moving forward, this is the right time to sell him. I mean, you know you're only going to get the prospects back for a few months of Wheeler, uh, potentially, if I'm correct in saying this is a contract year. Um, but but at the same time, you're not going to get anything but a, a QO pick uh, if he happens to just leave your team in free agency. Um, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers, they just have a rotation that's full of guys. And that was going back to the the beginning of the year. You know, Shasin, Davies, uh, Anderson, uh, and even some of the young, young guys, uh, Burns, Woodruff, uh, Peralta, and, but what what they really lacked was a stabilizing force at the top of the rotation, right? Like, I like that uh, accoutrement uh, better than than what the Phillies have uh, behind Nola, but they don't have. Uh, and I know you know he struggled to some extent this year, but they don't have a Nola or an ace or just a guy to set at the the top of the rotation. Um, if they had one guy who was of that high quality, um, and maybe even got Jimmy Nelson back, who's supposed to come back soon. Um, that would be a, a really interesting one uh, for the Milwaukee Brewers to try to bring someone in. Um, a couple other positions I was trying to think about. Um, relievers is often one that moves at the trade deadline. There's been some recent talk of, of the Cubs inquiring on, on Ken Giles. The Cubs are a team that absolutely, I think, has to add uh, to the back end of their bullpen if they want to be taken seriously late in the year. I mean, obviously, players can obviously play up, so you know, it's unfair to say that Carl Edwards and Steve Ciszek can't be the dominant relievers that some of these teams have. Um, they potentially can be, but it's pretty unlikely compared to a lot of other team situations. Brandon Murrow doesn't seem like someone that they can really rely upon, and Pedro Strope hasn't been able to stay healthy or consistent so far this year either. So Cubs are a team definitely looking to add into the bullpen. Um, Cleveland Indians are a team that has just recently added into the bullpen, at least in terms of last year with the Brad Hand trade. But, I mean, honestly, that that one worked out. It's just the, the bullpen as a whole still needs uh, a lot of work. So Cleveland is another team I can see uh, chasing down those, those bullpen numbers. Um, Joe, do you, do you have any uh, thoughts on, on some teams uh, that, that might be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? Well, first I'll throw my two cents in on the Mets uh, discussion since you both brought it up. Um, I'm I'm looking at the Mets roster right now, and the biggest problem they have is they don't really have anything to trade. I mean, all they have is those big three pitchers, and if you're going to trade those, what are you going to build around? 
it's they're they're in a really in a, between a rock and a hard place. Um, they don't have a lot of hitting. Um, how can I put it? Hitting prospects or hitting young guys that are going to be around a while, except for maybe Pete Alonso um, and Ahmed Rosario. But you can't build around those two guys. Those are not building blocks. Michael Conforto could be, I guess. If, you know, now he's got a cut. He should be back soon. But the the real assets they have, the, the big assets they have, are those top three pitchers. And I think they already paid the. They got to leave the guys. Either Syndergaard or Wheeler's got to be paid soon, uh, and then maybe they could trade the third one. But uh, without them, we have no build around. Nice future for that team. The way it's the way it's constructed. Um, another interesting team that's kind of along the same in the same boat as them, and, and they're in the same division as the Washington Nationals. Um, when I look at them, I I know that we're in this national top of the things, and all of a sudden now they're not. Yeah, three of the best pitchers in baseball at the top of their station. Um, but one big thing they lost, and a lot of people don't talk about this much, but they lost Bryce Harper. And yeah, he's not, not their order. He was the heart of their lineup. And guess who's in first place now? The team that got him. So I'm not saying that that's all because of that, but it's it's a big coincidence. Um, but I don't see the Nationals being buyers really because, well, maybe they should be because they got that that pitching stuff. Um, but as far as hitting goes, except for Anthony Rendon and some kids who haven't really got on court yet, like like Soto, there there really is not a lot going on in their offense. Um, so I'm not sure what they're going to do. It they don't have a ton of injuries really either, so it's not it's not like they have guys coming back that have been gone for a long time. The team that does though, and this is my my team, is the Yankees, and they're um they're probably a buyer. They're always a buyer. In fact, they just picked up Henry Morales. Recently, and uh, they're always looking for um, guys on the cheap that they usually have good luck with. Um, but that's going to run out soon. They, they have minor league players in three other lineup spots right now um, because the judge is still out. Dan, out. I got the next half hour talking about all the injuries on the end, so I don't have to go through them all. All the way from the top rotation for a lot of bullpen. They still have one of the best ball. So I do it. Lloyd playing out of that like he did last year. Not at least for Miguel Um, And I saw they're going to start by some point. But they have forces for a few years buying anything. And, uh, I hope they get back Severino. Uh, they're going to get back packed to the past thrown again, so that's a good sign. Domingo Germán is 8-1. Uh, and one. Uh, Where did this guy come from? 8-1. and one. You're out of the minors. A great prospect either. He's always been a decent pitcher, but I, I just think they're lucky sooner or later and they're going to start picking up something. Um, I can't believe they have enough guys who need, need to sit in the DH spot as it is. So I could see them be higher. Um, I could see the Mets and go away. You know, either buyers or others, depending on what happens over the next few weeks. But I think I don't think I'd want to be the owner of either of those teams. They're over there. Yeah. So um, the Yankees' uh, situation obviously they've been hindered by by all the injuries. Um, 
the Severino thing, the continuous pushback uh, on the date makes me think that uh, the hope that you have for him is more so that, that you have a full ready arm in the playoffs, more so than you get uh, a huge sampling of, of success at the regular season uh, for the for the rest of the year. And then, yeah, I mean, you know, can you imagine if real baseball worked like our fantasy leagues? Because the Yankees would have been filling up their, their DH spots all year. I mean, they've had so many guys go down due to injuries. They've been just absolutely uh, torn up. Um, on, on the national side, the thing um, haven't really been ravaged by injuries. But how many, but, how many um, teams? How many teams are? How many teams are deep enough though? To, how many teams are deep enough to withstand what the Yankees have withstood? Their best players are oh, on the absolutely. shelf. All their best players are on the shelf, and they're still they're still uh, winning games. And you know, and you consider team. the fact that uh, at one point it seemed kind of like a redundancy to bring in these DJ LeMahieu types, and uh, it, it seemed like <laughs> why were were they even? Yeah. People in your crowd of them bringing back um, Brett Gardner. I mean, imagine if they hadn't brought back Brett Gardner, where would they be? If they hadn't brought in DJ LeMahieu, where would they be? Those were shrewd moves on the part of of uh, Cashman, and people rip on him. Quite frankly, people in New York are ripping Cashman all the time. I, th- I think he's brilliant. Quite frankly, as a Yankees fan, I'm actually enjoying the, the brand of baseball that I'm seeing right now from from the Yankees. It, last year. They lived and died by the home runs. Well, this year they're manufacturing runs and they're throwing guys out there that are moving guys over and taking extra bases and playing defense and things along that line. And that's pretty exciting. And I think the key is going to be is as these stars come back, getting them, um, integrating them back into the lineup without losing kind of that magic that we've seen by playing small ball or by playing baseball the way the game used to be played. Um, And I think that – that's going to be really the key to success. And, yeah, they'll probably add somebody, one or two guys along the way, but uh, he's been picking these guys off scrap heat, and they've all been contributing. Um, Gio Ursula um, being one guy that bounced around the minus for all these years, and he was never really a hot prospect, but he showed some, um, you know, potential in the minors, especially when he came up once or twice with the Indians. But this guy's been – a godsend. I, I mean, I think he's been almost the most important guy on the team over the last couple of weeks. And he's not only been, you know, he's not only is he a, a you know a Gold Glove caliber third baseman if he, if he plays every day, but he's been a clutch hitter, probably the most clutch hitter on the team. And um, that's the type of thing that's exciting as a Yankees fan to see them play. And if they can, if they as long as they don't lose that when they're integrating Judge and Stanton and those guys back in the lineup, then it could be a really special year for them, but if they come in and then they start just getting guys on the pond, waiting to get guys on the pond so they can hit a bomb, it might be a tough uh, tough uh, down the stretch this year, so we shall see for sure. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's expensive it's disabled to save. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good point with uh, with the fact uh, that, that both that, that this team wouldn't be here uh, without uh, the debt moves that they've made in terms of Cashman, um, and that also we, we might see them uh, undergo this kind of a, a transition period, um, maybe or, or, or maybe not, depending on, on how they keep the coaching and the mindset of the team, um, because there is certainly a, a difference in playing uh, baseball in a lineup that has Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton uh, against playing in a, in a lineup that doesn't have Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge, and, and I think a lot of it. Um, 
you know, comes down to a mindset that you want them to have the uh, the hungry fight for every run mindset, so that if if they're in those games that that Stanton's struggling uh, and that Judge is struggling uh, and that they can't you know buy a run with the long ball, they they can steal a run so to speak um, by by playing the small ball game. Um, and then the other uh, team that Joe brought up. Uh, is the Washington Nationals, who, who haven't been necessarily very injury-bitten. Uh, yes, they have had uh, Trey Turner be gone for most of the season. Uh, and, yes, uh, Anthony Rendon uh, has missed a little bit of time, um, which is only significant uh, because of the fact that he's been so spectacular, at least for some parts of the season, uh, especially early in the season. Um, but but this team hasn't you know necessarily pulled it together Um Performance issues have, have certainly been one of the biggest issues to, to come forward. Uh, Brian Dozier ha, has been kind of a, an empty roster spot so far this year, uh, and they've they've seemed to have trouble uh, turning the lineup around. Um, Brian, do you have any thoughts on this Washington Nationals team, um, either as a buyer yeah. seller or just in general? Before we move on, yeah, the Nationals um, to me, yeah, the performances have been kind of unsteady this year, but their biggest problem is the bullpen. Other than Doolittle, their bullpen sucks. I mean, they've been bad. I mean, god-awful bad. And they're losing games that, I mean, I, I saw a stat where the game, the Scherzer start, you know, they've, like, they're doing eight or I don't know if that's correct, but something ridiculous like that. Some, something they've been terrible. And it's not because Scherzer's been a bad pitcher. It's that he gets them competitively, even if he hasn't hit quite as well as he has in the past, he still snaps Scherzer, and he's still – gives them an opportunity to win, and that dreadful bullpen just is getting lit up, and they can't get Doolittle. That, to me, is being the biggest difference between, yeah, Bryce Harper makes a difference, but Bryce Harper's um, stats aren't that great this year. Um, he's had a couple of nice home runs, but most of the home runs I've seen um, him hit for the Phillies have been in garbage time. So, uh, yes, the clubhouse thing, I think, is it makes an impact, um, and maybe they don't have that veteran leader in there, with, especially Rendon been down and Zimmerman's always hurt, and I'm not quite sure what he brings to the table. But I think the reason why they're losing games is because the bullpen sucks. And unless they, if they feel that they, uh, they stick around and are within, um, uh, you know, within reason come trade deadline, I can see them buying a ton of arms for that bullpen. Otherwise, if they're not, if they keep the way they're going and they fall off the pace, you know, they, you're not going to trade on those big threes, but you, you may try to trade off some of your other assets to get something because, you know, without dressing that bullpen, I, they're not going anywhere this year. Yeah, no doubt. They won't, they won't end up turning uh, away a Robles or a, a Soto or unless they don't think they'll resign him, uh, Rendon. I don't believe he's signed an extension yet. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, what I do believe they could do uh, is sell off like an Eaton or something, a, a, a solid baseball player. Um, and And then, uh, I like what you said in terms of the bullpen because I, I do think they need to bring in uh, a, a few new guys. Uh, you know, Rosenthal's been someone who was supposed to be um, a back-end guy, an eighth-inning guy. Um, clearly, he's been just an utter disaster, for lack of a better word. Um, so, so the Washington Nationals, uh, a team that does have some good pieces if they can find a way to uh, fix these glaring flaws. We'll move on now, though, to some um, some hitters. Uh, I, you know, I, I phrased it as kind of adds drops. But what I'm really just interested in are, are intriguing talking points. So uh, I'll let Brian go first again. Um, Brian, uh, what, who were the hitters you chose? I know, I know they have a theme, but 
uh, why don't you tell the audience uh, why you picked them? Yeah, so um, being someone that is plays mostly in dynasty leagues, uh, I've always had my eye on prospects, following them from the time that they're drafted or, or signed as an international free agent, all the way up and obviously until they are called out because as a dynasty um, player, you stash guys like your biggest accomplishment. So when you get when you get, when you get these guys, stash them and then they, they and they're hit, um, and um, that's great. But the reason why I think this is important for everybody, no matter what you play in, whether it be redraft, uh, keeper, or dynasty, is that these guys that are that have recently called up, um, I want to talk about a couple of these guys have been prospects that dynasty leagues have been aware of for a while, but these are guys that if they hit and stick, it could be a big difference going down a stretch in, in pretty much every league. So there's four guys that I want to briefly touch on that have been called up in the last week or two that um, I think are worthy of discussing whether or not they're worth adding um, and also what their value could be during the, the remainder of the season. Um, the first one is uh, Keston Shira, the second baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, this guy is someone that he's, been, he's a top prospect in the organization, and he definitely has the opportunity to stick uh, if he hits. Uh, by, by doing so, this will allow Moustakis uh, to move back to his natural position at third base, which I think will help him not only is he better defensively, uh, but he's also, you know, when you're playing your natural position, it takes some pressure off you on that end, and I think it allows you to concentrate a little bit more on hitting. And although he's been hitting for power, it, it could, could make it, make a big difference down the stretch. Of course, Travis Shaw was uh, manning third base, which is why Moose moved to second at the beginning. But Shaw has been dreadful this year. Uh, he's hurt right now. But quite frankly, I'm not sure that, Milwaukee's that concerned about Travis Stahl, and when he comes back, if, if uh, Hira is hitting, he's going to continue to get the, the play. And, and, in fact, that would be the best-case scenario because then the, then they could possibly, uh, once Shaw is healthy, get him in a couple, you know, here and there to show that he can hit and then be able to possibly move him for some some uh, arms going down the stretch. But uh, just to tell you a little bit about him, for those who don't know, this um, he has a he's you know he has a plus hit tool uh, plus raw power, uh, which is what she is developing, and he hits to all fields with a good strikeout rate. So he doesn't strike out a lot, uh, and then this is what I'm talking about basically in his minor leagues because he's only been up for for a week. Um, however, his weakness is his walks. He doesn't take a lot of walks, and really does, and, and that works in the minors to not walk and and show that hit tool. Uh, especially when you're when you can hit the off field. However, that doesn't play in the majors. You have to be able to be a little bit more selective. Very few guys that swing willy nilly at pitches all over the place are going to um, have a high batting average and, and drive in runs because as soon as they find your weakness, they're going to start to exploit it. Um, now th- this year in AAA, his his walk rate did increase, but unfortunately his his strikeout rate did too. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. So far, he's been relatively unimpressive, but it's been it's been um, been a short period of time, small sample size, so I'm not too worried about him. I think there's definitely a chance for him to uh, to prove himself. He's only had 23 plate appearances so far, so I'm not really going to worry too much about the stats uh, right now. But he is striking out 30% of the time uh, in in that, so that you know it's something that if he doesn't get his plate discipline down a little bit we might see him back down um, pretty soon. But if he does hit, he could be the long-term solution. So the way I see him, 
um, going forward is, you know, he's, you know, and if, it, if they're in a deeper league, he's definitely someone that you want to pick up and give a shot. If you're in a 10 teamer though, I would let somebody else drop their fab on him because he's, he's somebody that, that is just still a chance that he could go back down. This is his first taste of the majors. He's 22 years old. Uh, I think he's a little bit ahead of schedule. And the only way that he stays up is if he, if he proves he, can, he belongs. But so far, um, I think there's a little bit of question mark for that. Um, my second guy, Austin Riley of the Braves. Now, Riley has had a hot start coming up. Uh, he's only been up for a couple of days now. But has proved what the uh, Braves fans have known and that he's got uh, – he's an exciting young, young hitter. Now, he has the opportunity to become the permanent left field um, – left fielder going forward um, thanks to uh, Inferiority's injury. And if he comes back healthy, he could, you know, slide him as the fourth outfielder as long as Austin Riley hits. Obviously, all these are speculative depending on how they actually, um, you know, go after a few weeks. Carter Seaboom was up a couple weeks ago. He hit a home run in his first major league game, and then he was dreadful after that, and he was back in minors two weeks later. I don't know that Riley's going to follow that. I think he, out of actually of all four guys that I want to talk about today, he's probably got the best chance to stick. And, um, and, and partly because he does have um, a path of playing time. He could take over that left field job, moving Acuna to center field permanently and with Mark Kakis and right. That would actually be the best case scenario for the Braves heading down the stretch, having three, uh, three hitters like that in the outfield, as well as um, Acuna and Mark Kakis being Plus, field, uh, plus fielders and arms there. Then um, Riley's kind of scattering for it, plus power tool. Plus he has a, he has a uh, he has a rifle as an arm, which is why he does play a little bit third base as well. In fact, he's played a lot of third base in the minors, but they transitioned him in the outfield, um, so he gets, he's going to be a little bit more flexible. Third base option is a nice thing too, because you know Josh Donaldson is, is is just one you know injury away from being down for the year. So if that happens, he's definitely going to probably see a lot of time this year. But either way, I think he has a path of playing time as long as he hits. And um, he uh, he has had a really high average over the course of his of his minor league playing career, um, which is which is interesting because he has a high um, batting average that falls on play, which usually indicates that he has a lot of luck. He's had a lot of luck for four years now because he's had a high average and a high. Um, Babbitt for four, year, four years, basically his entire pro career. So there's no reason to believe that he um, can't continue it as long as he improves on the one thing that could hold him back. And then that, of course, is plate discipline, which happens to all young young players. He does have a high strikeout rate and low walk rate throughout his minor league career. And if that rears his ugly head on the, in the major league level, he is probably going to struggle. So, again, early to see, but he's one guy – that in most leagues I would be willing to spend, you know, probably 20% of my fab budget on because I think he has the most opportunity to make an impact rest of the season. Um, but like all these guys, there's always a chance if you don't hit in a couple weeks that we're back down in the minors. Two more guys, and I'll be a little bit quicker on these. Uh, Brendan Rogers just got called up by the Rockies. Um, this is a guy that was uh, formerly the number three overall pick in 2015 they had a lot of hope for him to be a pro because he had he was a plus power, uh, plus hit tool guy. But, you know, solid across the board, strong arm, decent glove. And honestly, he's been somewhat disappointing with his minor league stats over this, these last three years. And um, he really hasn't been 
um, hitting is, is what they were expected. So it's a little surprising that he did try to that they did call him up at this point. I think the only reason why he did because he is having a great season so far in 2019, by far his best season. But of course, it's only been a a, a month, uh, so it's it, you know it's questionable if that was going to if that was going to continue. But there is a flat path to playing time in, in Colorado. They were hoping the Rockies were hoping that their platoon of McMahon and Hampton were going to have, be like the ultimate platoon with McMahon with the power side, Hampton with the speed and defense side. But they've both been disappointing. Hampton's down in the minors. Um, McMahon's on the bench, giving Rogers hopefully the, what he's been tearing it up in the minors this year. Maybe that will, you know, that spark will will launch something because the Rockies have been underachieving as a team in general. And, and Cole, last time we I was on, I talked about the Rockies' uh, offense being being pretty poor, and unfortunately, doesn't look like it. Yes, it's improved a little bit, but not enough for them to win games. That's still under 500. And with the, the with the Padres and Diamondbacks overachieving, they might bury themselves too too soon if they don't get a going. So I think this Rogers move is more of a shot in the arm, spark type of thing. And he's a guy though he may end up being a a future um, All Star caliber player. I don't see him sticking long term this year, and he could find himself back down unless he's tearing it up at the at the um, the major league level. He is uh he has. Um, gotten a few stolen bases, which was unexpected, uh, and his strikeout rate isn't bad, but he doesn't take a lot of walks. So I still think he needs to have a little bit better plate discipline in order to be able to succeed at this level. And so he is one guy, another guy that if you're in a real deep league, is worth a speculative ad, especially because he plays the middle infield high step. But anything 12 team or under, I wouldn't. I would let let somebody else spend their bad money on him because I don't think he's going to be a long term ad this season. And finally, uh, Willie Calhoun um, from Texas Rangers. He is this is the third straight season that he's been called up by the Rangers, but never seems to stick. Um, and he really doesn't have a clear path to playing time this year because he's not a good fielder at all. He's probably going to be a full-time DH at some point, um, especially because they do have Hunter Pence. He's been fairly productive and warrants playing time. So I'm not sure that we're going to see Calhoun get a ton of, of play and if he doesn't kill it in his opportunities, it might be another short-lived assignment. Um, throughout the minors, he is known to have a, a, a hit tool, and he, and he had a developing power tool, though it never really developed as much as, as they thought it was. Um, but it definitely hasn't translated to major league level because although he had great strikeout um, rate in the minors, it's been double at the major league level. And he has looked like he's been overmatched, and he can't hit any kind of breaks and stuff. He's been a strictly fastball hitter at the major league level. And uh, that's not going to cut it, especially for a full-time DH. You're going to need to be able to rake. You're going to stay with it if you can't play the field. So um, he's another guy that um, he could he could hit a couple bombs. He may, you know, he's been around long enough. He's had a couple cups of coffee now. Um, he could figure it out, but my bet is against him, unfortunately, this time. And uh, I would leave him for someone else to, to waste their fab money on and um, and kind of wait and see on that on Calhoun. Yeah, so just recapping the four players, uh, Keston Hyera of the Milwaukee Brewers, Austin Riley of the Atlanta Braves, uh, Brendan Rodgers of the Colorado Rockies, and Willie Calhoun of the Texas Rangers. Um, going into Keston first, uh, I really like the the dynamic of the conversation about Travis Shaw and the other p- uh, players in this infield. 
Um, and I think that's the reason more so than a lot of uh, conversation pieces that I, I was lower coming into the season on guys like Jesus Aguilar uh, and Travis Shaw um, because it wasn't just like they already had a, a guy like Eric Faines who's shown to be a, a decent quality uh, bat against right-handed pitchers waiting in the winds. Uh, it, it was that they had this guy in Keston Hyera, uh who figured to be a big part of the infield mix too at some point this year. You know, and also the the fact that um, Milwaukee has shown themselves capable in the past of moving on from guys like Domingo Santana, um, like Eric Fames himself, like Jonathan VR, uh, despite how good they do or how well they do during the regular season. Um, you know, uh, Keston here absolutely tore up the Arizona Fall League. Uh, he might have even been the MVP of that league, uh, but he hasn't been so hot in AAA so far this year. That hasn't seemed to click yet, so to speak. Um, regardless of the competition, you'd like to see those things, you know, click before you you, you see the the call up. I think that's what you're getting in the Brendan Rodgers case is, is that you've seen something click. Um, you know, maybe maybe it's not going to last long. Maybe it's just a short term thing. Um, maybe it's just the the fact that the minor league balls are different in AAA now. Um, but but Brendan Rodgers has been absolutely incredible so far uh, this year in AAA. Um, and so obviously that's why I think that he's been uh, getting the push to get called up, you know, despite the fact that uh, his original position is, is mostly covered uh, by Trevor Story at, at shortstop. And, you know, he, he's looked blocked at times before, but he, he seems to have at least a bit of a better opportunity now. Um, Austin Riley is someone that a lot of people have liked for a long time, especially as a guy who was close to ready um, and, and pretty obviously like, Pretty pretty close to major league caliber. Uh, the difference is he's been mostly blocked. Um, probably would have been up last year if not for an injury. Uh, and then they brought in Josh Donaldson to play his natural third base position. Obviously the opportunity is there now. So uh, that's the most uh, you know interesting thing when it comes to Austin Riley. And, and you mentioned it about all these guys. Um, I'll, I'll put it or I'll phrase it a different way. All these young call-ups have such variable values. Um, they can go so many different ways. You know, it wasn't too long ago that Michael Chavez um, and Carter Keyboom got called up within a couple weeks' period of time. And, yeah, you can obviously argue that uh, people predicted one being successful and the other not. I'm not saying that they were unpredictable. Um, but to have Michael Chavez blow up and explode into such a successful player so quickly um, has obviously increased his value exponentially since you added him on the wire. And, you know, if you're in a redraft league, Carter Keyboom's value – uh, tanked just as quickly, um, so you know that's what that that's part of the reason why you add these guys is for the chance, just the chance of being like Chavez, um, uh, on because you you know you're you're adding so many guys and and like likely the person you're adding or dropping rather is is the worst on your lineup, uh, so you drop that player and you take a chance at one of these variable uh, values paying off. Um, we talked about Willie Calhoun also on the Thursday show. He, he's an interesting case to me because. You know, you know, there's a dichotomy in the argument because, for one, we don't care about defense, at least in terms of if he's playing, we don't care about defense. Um, and his defense also is, I think, part of the reason why we've given up hope in him so quickly, right? Because uh, he was never as highly touted as a prospect that, or as much so as we would expect him to be uh, based on his bat due to the fact that, you know, he, he was seen as positionless. Uh, and not a very good defensive player, not adding much um, to the war-based arguments. Um, 
And, and so when he struggled, I think we, we went from not as much hype as a player worth his caliber of bat uh, to absolutely losing, losing faith in him. But uh, I think if Willie Calhoun was like, you know, a quality middle infield glove or a quality outfield glove, um, you know, we wouldn't have given up faith in him nearly this quickly. So, you know, on, on the one side of things, I, I, I buy into the idea that he's blooming a little bit later and that this hit tool that we've seen um, and that we've believed in uh, and the power that we've believed in uh, can come to fruition uh, a little bit more if, if he has the opportunity. Uh, at the same time, uh, the problem remains consistent, and that is that with no defensive value, he can't just be okay. If you can play shortstop, not even like Andrelton Simmons, if you can just play shortstop solid, you can hit 270, you know, for a, for a middling OBP and not a very high isolated power. But if you're being the DH or uh, a negative value defender at either first base or corner outfield, that's just not going to cut it. You're going to have to hit for a lot more average, uh, a lot more power, and, and that's the place that Willie Calhoun consistently finds himself throughout his career. You know, he, he's got to overachieve on offense, not not just achieve, but overachieve on offense uh, to compensate for, for what's perceived uh, and, and what actually is, uh, in most cases, uh, a, a lack of defensive value. Um, any any thoughts on any of those guys, Joe? Wow, that was a lot of words. Um, anyway, Brandon Rogers is the only one I want to find out. It's more of a personal thing. Um, I go to a lot of minor league games when I can in the in the summer, and there's a, quite a few minor league teams around me. And one of them is the Yard Goats in in Hartford, which is kind of a funny name, the Yard Goats. Um, it has something to do with the train system in Hartford, but um, the Yard Goats game. The company I worked for had pretty good seats, so I was right up right next to the on deck circle, and got to you know not meet him so much, but just talk to him through the fence for a second. But uh, the most the thing I remember about Brendan Rodgers is he's not really a big guy at all. Um, like I, I met Alex Rio several years ago before he became a, a major leaguer, and that guy was huge. When you stood next to Alex Rio, he knew damn well this guy was a, a world-class athlete. He was going to be in the majors. He was going to steal a lot of bases. He was going to hit home runs. He was going to be a great player. He just knew it just by looking at him. And you don't get that impression at all with Brendan Rodgers, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, when I first heard he was playing that day, I was excited about it, and then I saw him, and I was I was underwhelmed. But he got two hits in the game, and he's actually, like you said, he had a pretty good season going in the in the minors this year. Um, last year wasn't too bad either. Um, but uh, yeah, he's blocked by Trevor Story. I thought he was going to find his way into second base, especially when they didn't re-sign Lemayhew, um, which which could still happen. I guess he could still end up. Um, as far as the hitters, I want to talk about. I'm going to go a complete other direction from where, from where uh, Ryan just went. Um, I'm going to talk more about veteran players, players that people forgot about that suddenly had a rebirth this year. And um, one thing I like to do is, is either late draft or even even after the season starts, I pick up guys off the wire who used to be really successful. And um, all of a sudden you see them go on a little hot streak. And like, well, maybe. So you pay a dollar for them on Fab and put them in your, in your bench and see what happens. And I struck gold this year with Hunter Pence. I touched him already once, but um, – Mr. Penn's got plenty of hits, but then he was forgotten about for years. Um, this year he gets traded to the Rangers, or not traded, but resigns with the Rangers, and all of a sudden he has a rebirth. 
Granted, it's only 68 at bets. Um, I mean, 105 at bets. So it might right now he's hitting actually his whole career. So it's probably for a bit of a regression. Um, but just look at his, his uh, advanced stats. His batting average on balls and play is actually lower than it is for his career. So he's not he's not doing this on luck. Um, he's, he's thinking about uh, to see, and I've been a fan since years. Um, so I, it's good that I got him for me. But yeah, I picked him up free in a, in a couple leagues, and um, we injured. I've had it feels like it. Um, and uh, Pollock and everybody else who's injured. Um, Hicks, um, Hunter Pence has been one of my saving graces. Um, but again, it probably won't last. Um, like I said, he's playing better than he has in years. He's 36 years old, so it's not like he's over. I've been so much the last few years anyway, probably mainly injury related. Um, another who is having a great season this year who I think people forgot about and I picked him up really late in the draft was uh, the Pirates' Josh Bell. And um, again, he's uh, hang on one second. He's a guy who um, I think a lot of people just a baseman who um, is average at best. Uh, I remember uh, guys like I'll never think of this name now, but um, basic average players who, who don't help you much in fantasy at all, but they still always have a place on a big league team. But uh, Josh Bell is actually ripping it this year. Um, he's hitting 333 with uh, 14 and because no one, no one cared about him. Yeah, I drafted other first baseman ahead of him. I probably drafted Miguel Cabrera ahead of him. And uh, Miguel Cabrera sits on my bench now while Josh Bell is raking. Um, but, you know, he was one of those guys in the, in the minors as a prospect. He was getting high billing. Never panned out in the major league. He was just your, your basic 15 home runs, 70 RBI guy uh, who hits 260. And that doesn't help anybody in fantasy baseball. But this year, he had to turn that around. So I'm happy about that. The other guy I wanted to talk to, another guy who um, I had high hopes for for years now, and he's really underwhelmed last year, but this year he seems to have uh, gotten back to where he was, and that's my friend Sanchez of the Yankees. Um, he got hurt for a while. He's got a low number of at-bats so far, but he's hitting the ball. He's getting on base. He's uh, got a good OPS, and his defense has improved tremendously over last year. Last year he got ripped for, for that blocking the balls in the dirt. Uh, able to frame they say he had a good arm that's about it his arm was good for throwing out base runners but that he had no other defensive qualities at all and people were talking about him as being a uh, permanent DH but this year I'm not saying he's a gold lover but I think he's squelched a lot of the negative talk about his defense and um, all I know is he's on all three of my teams and I, there's not a catcher I would rather have than him to be honest with you um, I, I think as long as he can, you know, get 500 at bats, there's not going to be a catcher who touches his bats at the end of the year. So that's what I'm looking forward to there with Gary Sanchez, the Sanchez. But that's what you yeah, I, I look Sanchez. for players who have. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say one last thing. I, I look for players who used to be good and now are not so much tense. And uh, last year I got some luck with Zimmerman out of the Nationals. But players like that who you can get on the cheap and people have forgotten about them. People have just given up on them. They're out there. They're on the wire, and you can snag them when you need them. 
Yeah, sounds good. I, I like that you guys took it uh, in, in two different directions. Um, you know, obviously there's a, a varying degree of veteran between uh, Josh, Josh Bell uh, and Hunter Pence, but I, I think that the point is uh, that we're driving home is that I think Josh Bell is a guy that a lot of people gave up on too. You know, uh, it's kind of the yep. same argument, just a different version uh, of what I was mentioning earlier about Willie Calhoun about how um, – being a, a no-defense prospect probably made us give up on him a little bit quick. Um, Josh Bell was kind of put into this, even back when he was a prospect, was kind of put into this box of he's a first baseman, but he has questionable power. Um, and that's a kind of scary box to be put into. Um, you know, uh, I, I meant to throw it out when you were saying it earlier, but uh, one of the names I typically associate is the James Loney, uh, not to just, I, That's you know, what I was thinking of. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Exactly. I was yeah, yeah. thinking of his name. Yeah, not not to begrudge the guy, but I mean he he's a solid hitter. He gets on base, but he he doesn't have a, a, a lot of power, um, and that kind of capped him as this player who who ended up being a platoon bat with teams like you know the Tampa Bay Rays or teams that that, that uh, Oakland Athletics teams that do all these uh, platoon situations and uh, are looking for some OBP type players uh, on the cheap. John Olerud, John um, Olerud is another one. John Olerud, Mark Grace, those were a few guys from ways back. Yeah, and I, I think he got pigeonholed into a guy with, uh, that that might not hit for that much power. Um, but the interesting thing about the whole argument is that not last year, but the year before it, uh, twenty seventeen, he hit twenty six home runs, I believe. Um, and and it, it really was this. Oh, maybe Josh Bell is about to come. Uh, you know, maybe he's about to you know be the next big thing, um, or at least one of the better first basemen, uh, a guy who has a good K to BB, uh, a guy who has a, a solid hit tool, a guy who has. Uh, is projecting and growing into solid power. Uh, and then 2018 was just a, a rough disappointment. So, yeah, I think a lot of people uh, more or less gave up uh, on the idea that he would uh, continue to hit for power heading into 2019. Um, you know, uh, what I do uh, for picking players on these shows now is I, I, I try to do the same thing every single week and, and try to do something uh, kind of equivalent to like the house and blackjack where it's kind of just a, a basic flat line. And uh, for this week I, I did, and most weeks I did, I do most added, most drop players uh, that I throw out at the end. And uh, you guys have hit about all of the most added players uh, on ESPN. Uh, Austin Riley, Keston here, uh, and Brendan Rogers, obviously uh, fill up a lot of that list as young. And, um, but even as owned as he was, uh, Josh Bell found himself a, a, as one of the uh, most added uh, players in ESPN leagues. Um, you know, uh, Josh Bell is, is very interesting to me uh, as a breakout in, in a shallow league. I think he's, he's ownable everywhere. He should be owned everywhere, and he should be starting everywhere uh, because he's got enough tools to me that he, he needs to prove this. Uh, so, you know, to me, some people need to do extra to prove a breakout, and some hitters need to do extra to disprove a breakout, so to speak. And Josh Bell is a player who I've always liked certain certain tools, certain hit tools, certain uh, ability to control, to control the strike zone. Um, so uh, to me, it, it's not necessarily that I completely buy that this is who he is, but I believe that he's improved, and uh, I think he needs to disprove that to me a little bit for me to get off the train a little bit because I, I think he is taking uh, at least some degree of step forward uh, is, is Josh Bell. Um, Hunter Pence is obviously a, a deeper commodity, but I do think he's a guy that even went undrafted in a lot of AL-only leagues or 20-team-plus leagues, and he's been – a fairly solid contributor uh, and someone who's gotten uh, a fairly regular amount of playing time uh, on that team. So uh, definitely a guy, if he's on your deeper league waiver wire and you're just looking for um, 
playing time in the outfield position. That's uh, one way you can go. Um, the names that remain uh, undiscussed on my list, um, Tommy Lastella is one of the most added players uh, in, in Major League Baseball, in fantasy baseball, uh, according to ESPN leagues. Lastella has been absolutely incredible so far. Um, strikeout rate under 10%, starting to hit for uh, more power. Um, really has a, a full-time shot, which he hasn't uh, had too much in his career. Uh, so Lastella is actually the most uh, added player uh, in ESPN leagues, someone who you know is worth checking out on. I don't know if he's going to consistent or continue to, you know, be this level of breakout. But he is a guy again who's showed, showed a good control of the strike zone, uh, a good career K to BB, and a quality uh, consistent with a, a solid hitter. So it makes it easier, at least, to believe that that Tommy Lestella might have at least taken a step forward. You know, maybe Tommy Lestella is having a a Daniel Murphy esque breakout or something along those lines. Uh, and then three players on the most drop list three players who were getting a, a lot of buzz and a lot of articles uh, about them in April. Uh, Jason Hayward, uh, Tim Beckham, Enrique Hernandez are those three players. Um, Enrique Hernandez is the one I'm holding out the most hope for because I do think he's a, a solid player who can give some power, steal some bases, um, and, and, and add uh, as a solid contributor to your team throughout the year. And Jason Hayward is a tricky one because he's had so many ups and downs these last few years. Um, and I think Tim Beckham really did just have uh, a couple few good games to start the season. He is what he is, which, you know, might be a, a solid player in mixed leagues or, or a deep league uh, player. But uh, at the end of the day, it isn't the stud that, that he almost flashed uh, for a little bit. Um, any thoughts on, on Stella or any of those uh, dropped players, Brian? Yeah, I've been eyeing up uh, Lestella uh, as well. And so I do mostly dynasty. So, I have one guy I'm actually in negotiations for to give up that one one league we're at is is a twenty four team league and right now I have the top seed I'm seven one in that league and and I've done that because of my depth because I've had um guys that have been hurt. Uh I have um and Duhar and Hicks and a couple of guys like that that have missed some time. So um I'm I'm trying to be careful. I don't want to give up too much because I don't know if it's going to be a long-term thing or not, but I do like what I've seen from this year. And um, I don't know. It's, it's really it's somebody that I'm certainly um, interested enough that I'm, I'm actually checking his box score every day to see what he's doing, to, to kind of see if there's any regression, anything to be worried about. Um, and, and as far as that, um, as far as the rest of the guys, yeah, I, I mentioned Pence before in the Calhoun um, discussion, and I think that he might be the main reason why Calhoun isn't sick because Pence is actually uh, might outperform him. In because right now, I think there's somewhat of a platoon thing right now, but I don't, I don't know that that will uh, continue as long as Pence continues to, to play well. Um, I did want to hit on a couple of the guys that Joe talked about, and um, uh, Gary Sanchez, he. He still, he still scares me. Uh, I agree. It looks like his stroke is back. I think he's going to hit the power. Uh, he does get on base. So those are excellent things, especially in how scarce the catcher position is. I still feel like he's not going to hit for average and he's going to strike out a ton. So it depends on what kind of leagues you're in. If you're straight points leagues, um, then I think that uh, he's going to be um, you know, good in. The one league that I had him in, I traded him away this year because it was the Sabermetrics League and it's all ratios and it's all 
sabermetric ratios and the, um, the strikeout rate and some of and the um, and some of those and the low batting average was was worrisome to me. So I decided to go with a, um, a, a like with some lower level catchers and and fill some of the more important positions and go that route, which also leads me to the uh, we, we talked about Josh Bell. I had Josh Bell in that same league. I've had him for three years now. And in the sabermetrics league, he's been, he has been productive. Um, not a stud, but productive because he's always, you know, had, you know, good on base percentage and did some of those things well. Uh, he had low strikeout rate and got on base. Uh, I decided I, I picked up Nate Lowe in the offseason and have him stashed. And hopefully he's going to be my first season in the future. I also made two trades in February. Um, one of them is I traded Michael Brantley for Yandy Diaz and Rafael uh, Iglesias to, to get a to, um, get my bullpen, and I took a chance on Diaz going into the year, thinking that he was going to have a breakout. Brantley's been awesome, but by having Diaz, it allowed me to have a first base eligible guy. I was able to trade Josh uh, Bell for John uh, Brebia and 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 Sean Doolittle. So I got another closer. So one of the things that Last year, I was 25th out of 30 teams in this league. Right now, I'm 5 out of 30. And one of the biggest differences is my bullpen has improved a lot, and that's really critical for, the, for a league like this. And pick and Brevi has been wiped out, too, if you're not familiar with him. So although I think Bell is, is, um, is definitely um, productive and, and certainly turning, be turning a corner somewhat, um, I was able to, to um, flip those guys for some, for some good – him for some good assets and so far so good and I don't regret it but uh, he is a guy that of course I'm going to follow along with whenever you trade guys like that that you've been that you've had for a couple of years you always like to follow them and see if your trade is really something to hand out or not so just some thoughts about those guys that's why I can't play you know, in a league like that I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to always play for next year I just can't do that I got to play for this year I'd have so much trouble but that's just me. Yeah, you know, all, all those uh, – I'm playing in, in one of my first uh, serious dynasty leagues that I've ever done uh, with a, a real long-term commitment and building it from scratch. And it is uh, just an incredibly uh, different experience uh, than playing in redraft leagues. Um, be, before we move on uh, to our next segment, which will be uh, streamers uh, and, and a little bit of series preview, uh, I'd like to remind our audience once again of our partner Thrive Fantasy Sports. Uh, Thrive Fantasy offers a different model for the daily fantasy games using prop bets. Go to thrivefantasy.com and put in the promo code MLFS, and you, they will match your first $10. Excuse me. You can also um, join in our fantasy football leagues if you are uh, a fan of playing in such leagues. Uh, if you feel like you'd be a good fit for our leagues, you can email Corey D. Roberts at MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. That is MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. And if you like the work that we do here, uh, either on radio uh, or uh, in writing, uh, you can uh, go to Patreon.com slash MajorLeagueFantasySports to donate. That's Patreon.com slash MajorLeagueFantasySports. Um so uh, a lot of times we, we do streamers by day, uh, and I have them uh, get looked up by day. Um, but since we're starting to get uh, a little behind on time, Joe, uh, why don't you just uh, go into uh, most of you know the streamers that you picked for this week uh, and, and why you picked those guys? 
sure. Um, well, the first guy on my list, and everybody I talk about is going to be at, at, at the most 50% owned in, in uh, fan tracks leagues. ESPN might be a little different. Maybe some of these guys are more than 50% owned. Maybe some are way less, but um, your fan tracks ownership percentages. And uh, right at 50%, I have Brett Anderson of the Oakland A's. Um, 50% owned in fan tracks. He's got a two-start week on Monday in Cleveland. And then he's at home for Seattle Mariners on Sunday. Um, this this guy's never going to be a great pitcher. He's not a high strikeout guy. He's not going to win 20 games. He's not going to pitch 200 innings. But he's solid. He's a solid day after day, um, week after week, middle of the road pitcher. He's going to get your five or six innings, and he's going to you know get his share of strikeouts and wins. And that doesn't walk a lot of guys. Um, last his last game though, he had five strikeouts, and that was actually his season high. So. We're not talking about Max Scherzer here for sure, um, but it was a third straight out going, which is rare. These, if you look, Joe. Hey Brian, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, I think uh, I think Joe just dropped. Um, why don't you go uh, tell me your streamers real quick, and I'll see if I, uh, he calls back yeah. in. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I I use the sixty percent threshold, and, and I use Fantrax too as my um, as my guideline here. So these guys are all going to be under sixty percent owned. Um, my first guy for Monday though is like almost zero percent owned, so this is a real shot in the dark. Uh, but there wasn't a lot going on on Monday except that they had a couple. There's a couple studs. And then a couple guys that are kind of, um, you know, I, I just, you know, don't want to put out there because they're just going to destroy my <laughs> my ratios. Uh, so the guy I'm targeting at Monday is Sean Anderson, um, a right-handed pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. And he is the top prospect coming in this year. Um, yes, they're playing, um, they're playing at home against Atlanta. So they're at home. So pitchers park, I like that. Braves have a good offense. But one thing about him is, there's not really any tape at the major league level. He's had one start so far. So I think there's still a little bit of advantage uh, with, with new pitchers against teams that haven't seen him. Um, so I, and, and he does have some good stuff. He's, he's the number one pitching prospect for the Giants, which doesn't mean a whole lot. They don't have a whole lot of assets there in the minors. But he is one guy that, that has a chance to be a good major league pitcher. Um, he's got five-pitch five mix, plus fastball, slider, and cutter. Uh, he's got decent curveball, and he's got a changeup, which needs some work, but, you know, he can throw it in there. He basically uses them all just to keep pitchers or hitters honest. Um, in his debut last week, he did use all five pitches. He relies on his um, his fastball with a slider and cutter. Uh, his fastball and slider uh, with his cutter as an out pitch. So he did have some decent work uh, last, last week with five innings pitch. He did give up three walks. It's the only concern I have going forward that um, that he may uh, be a little bit uh, issues with command being a young pitcher, only a second at bat. Um, but he does have uh, strikeout potential, and um, being in being at home in San Francisco, there's always a good chance he could go out there and, and, and have a nice two two times through the order, give you five innings, strike out seven guys, and if he can keep his his walk down, he can, he's definitely going to uh, be a possibility for a nice start for someone that's completely out of left field. Um, 
on, on Tuesday, uh, Lance Lynn, I have against Seattle. Um, obviously, uh, pitching for Texas, the, uh, which is not usually <laughs> um, a great spot start, but they are playing in Seattle. And um, he is a guy that this year is uh, does have a 13% K to walk rate. So he is having a pretty good year um, overall. He pitches to contact, um, uh, but now with the, so with the Mariners' bats kind of cooling off since the beginning of the year, I think he has a chance to go out there and pitch a decent game, especially if you're looking for, you know, a low-risk uh, spot start. He's somebody that you can throw out there and is not going to kill your ratios, give you, a, give you a chance to get some meaningful innings. Uh, he's another guy who does have four pitches, his four-seamer, um, it's not that 94 miles an hour, uh, he, but he, he mixes in uh, cutters and sinkers, which are a couple miles an hour under that, um, which generally produces about 45 to 49% ground ball rate. Unfortunately, this year, it's a little bit lower. It's about 39%, which has led to a few more home runs than usual. But like I said before, um, the, the, the Mariners do hit home runs, so that, 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 there's that potential, which is why I bring it up. But overall, they've cooled off, and he might be a, a nice slide in on Tuesday if you're if you're um, needing depth in pitching. Wednesday I got CC Sabathia. Um, this is his swan song this year. So he's gonna be pumped up for every single start. He's been a little lucky this year because he's had a low ERA, uh, you know, two point nine seven. Um, but he also has had a high fit of six point oh eight. So because of that, there's always a chance that this could implode. Um, but again I think he's gonna be prepared each day that he goes out there. The main reason is because every every time he goes out there, it's one of his last ones, and he's he's um, really looking to get a um, go out with a bang with a with a playoff run and hopefully a world championship. And the fact that he's pitching against Baltimore that's helpful too because they basically have a minor league lineup there. Uh, only downside is at Baltimore, so it could be. Um, possibility of giving up a couple home runs, but overall, I'll, I'll take my chance with CC uh, on Wednesday. And finally, on Thursday, um, Miami has had a um, interesting rotation, to say the least, this year. They're, they don't get many wins down there, but they do have a good ballpark um, to, to pitch in. They're playing at Detroit this week, so it's just not a bad ballpark either for pitchers. Um, I like Trevor Richards, who's, who's pitching against Detroit on on Thursday. First of all, Detroit's lineup is not very good, and um, but he's also been kind of a um, kind of, he's been kind of in, inconsistent this year. Right, I have one of him one of my dynasty leagues, and he has been overall a good performer for me this year. And one of the reasons why is because he's got one of the best changeups in baseball. You don't hear too much about about him, but seriously, this is one of the best pitches of anybody in baseball, which I know sounds like a big statement. Um, the reason why no one's heard of him is because all his other pitches kind of stink. And it really stinks when his fastball is, is really bad. His four-seamer kind of sucks, and, he, and he's been trying to mix in cutters and curveballs to try to keep batters off balance and, and not stop him from sitting on his changeup. Um, and unfortunately, for the most part, um, he's had ups and downs throughout the year. Uh, the plus side, again, he's pitching against the Detroit lineup with lots of potential K victims in that game. So, again, he'll probably give you six innings, but he might get you close to double-digit strikeouts in those six innings. Uh, he does give up some fly balls, so there's always a chance for some bombs. Um, but overall, um, you know, he's, he, he's a, it could be a nice spot start with the possibility to get a lot of strikeouts. And he, in his minor league career, he's always, was always under um, 10% in, in, um, in walk rate, but he has been over that 
so far in his time in the major league level. So that hasn't completely translated. I think it's probably because he's trying to pitch off his um, changeup and not his fastball. So if, if he does have his fastball on, then he could be dangerous. But in the game phase, not, you know, again, it could be a hit and a miss. But Thursday, there's not much out there. So I think he's a, he's a nice fill-in if you need him um, for potential strikeouts on Thursday. Yeah, all that sounds good, Brian. Um, I think uh, most of the guys you put are, are on my general list. Uh, like I was saying earlier, when it comes to ads and drops, uh, when, I, when I host the show, my co-host, I do it a little differently. But when I host the show uh, and I do like the added segment, I like to just look up the map, most added, most dropped, and add them to the show uh, every week. Uh, when I do streamers, I don't uh, pick a few anymore. I just kind of pick pick a few matchups and end up writing down about 15 names to just kind of see where the conversations go. And uh, some of the matchups I liked were uh, uh, the Miami at Detroit matchup uh, in general, just the whole matchup. If you can get a, a piece of Miami at Detroit, uh, that's a fairly good one. If anyone happens to be unowned uh, between Turnbull, Norris, Boyd, uh, Caleb Smith probably owned in almost every league, but uh, Urena and, and Trevor Richards uh, on the Miami side of things. Um, like the Minnesota staff against L.A. Uh, on the road, the, the Angels haven't been uh, the best offense so far this year. That That's certainly a, uh, an interesting one to me. Um, Lance Lynn, I, I know you, you had as one of your potentials for, for Tuesday. Um, I have uh, th- that whole whole series uh, on the Texas side of things, Mike Minor, Lance Lynn, and Samson, uh, all as uh, potentially interesting starts. Uh, against the Seattle offense that has uh, cooled off considerably uh, since the beginning of the year. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, the uh, the Oakland starts uh, at Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland hasn't uh, been the hottest offense to start the year. Uh, so, so that's one that, that I'm focusing in on. Um, in terms of the last guy you brought up, Trevor Richards, I, I do think it's important to point out because, you know, I, I think a lot of people got in love with his changeup, and I really loved his changeup too, but uh, – why I didn't buy into Trevor Richards right away and why I'm still hesitant uh, to continue to buy into him is, as you said, you know, the whole point of a changeup, a good changeup, is to work off of the fastball. Um, and, and so in, genu- in general, yes, you can have a changeup that looks good in a vacuum, um, but you have to be able to, to allow your pitches uh, to work off of each other. You need to be able to, you know, create the, de- the deception uh, for the hitter uh, that can show up. Uh, it, if they can either uh, – they can do one of two things if, if they're not too afraid of the fastball. They can either sit and look fastball uh, and just try to make sure that uh, at the first sign of changeup they hold up, or, or they can just simply uh, try to lay off the changeup in, in general um, and, and, and seek his other pitches um, and, and until he finds a way to, to keep them off the fastball, uh, keep them from, from guessing uh, after that fastball. Uh, I think he'll uh, continue to struggle – uh, in, in a similar light. Um, we'll move on now to uh, the last 15 minutes of the show dealing with uh, some of the series coming up this week. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of reasons to look forward to a, a baseball series, some that uh, exist in fantasy baseball, some that uh, exist in uh, reality. When I uh, ask the guests or the co-hosts or whoever uh, whomever it may be to, to look through these, uh, I really don't ask them anything uh, specific just to take a series and, and try to find what, what they think uh, are the most interesting talking points uh, about that series. So uh, just uh, let us know uh, one of your series, Brian, or, or even both, uh, if you have a couple and, and uh, why they intrigue you so much uh, as we get ready to wrap up the show. 
Yeah, um, the one that's most intriguing to me is the um, the Phillies Cubs series coming up. So this is a nice um, nice three game set between two first place teams in the National League. And uh, the the interesting thing is that you know Cubs kind of have seems like they're starting to right the ship after an uneven start to the season. Um, Chris Bryant finally started coming around, looks healthy and is doing his thing. Um, and, uh, and the Phillies overall have had a solid, solid year and with the addition of Bryce Harper, obviously um, adding and lengthening in that lineup. The interesting thing that I found, I think the key to this series is, is the, um, the, the, the Cubs offense against the Phillies starting pitching. The Phillies pitching last year, quite frankly, is, is, it was better than it has been this year, which is interesting because this year they're in first place. But um, this series could make could expose them if they don't get good pitching performances. And the, to make it more difficult, Aaron Nola is not scheduled in this series at all as he pitched this weekend. Um, so you're going to have uh, Arietta against Darvish, um, Eflin against Quintana, and Cole Irvin against Cole Hamill for the Battle of the Coles on Thursday. Uh, but what's interesting on this match, um, and, and this is the fact that the the, um, the Arietta used to be a Cy Young pitcher, and he's a shell of himself, but that veteran presence has still been a positive thing for, for the Phillies so far this year. So on on the fantasy side, I'm not I don't know that I would throw any of those guys on on the Philly side. Though Eflin has had a couple gems as well as a couple stinkers this year. Uh, but up from the baseball side of things, I'm really interested to see how this how this this Cubs lineup fares against them because if they stay hot, um, this could this could really put a big gap uh, between the two. And even though they're not in the same division, it could make a, a big difference going forward. Uh, as far as um, seeding down the road in the playoffs, because right now it's, they had the same amount of wins at 26 with uh, the Phillies at 19 losses and the Cubs at 17. So they're right the neck and neck going, going this year. Uh, they're, and they're both going to have challenges in their own division along the way, with especially with the Brewers, um, uh, the Cubs, and I'm sure the Cardinals are going to stay right there all year too. And the um, Phillies have the, the Braves that will stay with them all year, even if the Nationals don't get it together. So they're going to have their own division rivals to, to deal with. But um, when it's all said and done, this is going to be uh, this this matchup could be a key to see um, how what they're going to do when it comes down to the playoff time and you're playing top, top competition. Um, like I said, Brian, I was somebody in actually in the Major League Fantasy League. I, I actually traded for him this off season. And um, I'm glad I did because even though he, he had a little bit of a slow start, he's raking now. He's made, I actually acquired him and Walker Bueller in the same trade. And because of that, I had a tough start to the season. And, and so I had a little bit of a hole, but they're both pitching a lot. Both Bueller is pitching better, better now and Bryant's hitting well. So hopefully we'll help turn things around going forward. But this this is a lot to like in, in this lineup. Uh, we talked about Jason Hayward briefly before, I think, I think he's kind of a, a lost cause, um, even though he hasn't been terrible this year. I don't put much stock in him, but um, you have you have a couple. You have about four top 50 hitters uh, in this league with Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, and Contreras. And uh, Joe had mentioned that nobody he would rather have as far as catcher than Gary Sanchez. 
I would put Riamuto and and um, Contreras in this conversation as guys that catchers that they're going to be as good as not better contributors in fantasy league this this season. So yeah, you got four big guys right there. Um, plus, you know, Schwarber at the top of the lineup, even though he's not a prototypical leadoff hitter, he does um, you know he does have some power and um, some something to add as well there. Um, but the, the the real key is what are you going to see from this this Phillies rotation? Are they going to be able to uh, keep those guys in check and give their own offense a chance? I think the Phillies offense is is, is um, clicking pretty well. And the good thing about the Phillies offense is that they're pretty, they're getting production all up and down the lineup, and that's you know you know better. They're not relying on Bryce Harper to do everything. Uh, Mikel Franco has looked good as well as other guys up and down that lineup. But um, the starters without Nola in this series could be a long series um, against that, that Cubs um, lineup. So that's what I think is going to be the key going forward and um, be interesting what Zach Eflin you're going to see. Is it going to be the dominant one or the one that gets lit up? And Cole Irvin is an interesting one. He's in the line, he's, he was never much of a prospect. He's made a couple starts now, and most of them have been, you know, pretty competitive starts. He hasn't blown anybody away, but he's given – it's still has a chance to win in pretty much every uh, outing he's been in. And if he does that um, against the Cubs, then they'll take it because they have a chance to, to, to get a win if they can stay close. So they get through the sixth innings and, and stay close. Especially, as you mentioned, the Cubs don't have a real dominant end of the, um, uh, end of the bullpen there, so they could you know, keep it close. You never know what's going to happen towards the end. Yeah, you know, um, when it comes to the Cubs and Phillies, obviously I, I'm a Cubs fan. Uh, I think one of the most interesting matchups is that Jake Arrieta, you Darvish matchup, not just because of the fact that Jake Arrieta uh, used to play for the Cubs and has a Cy Young on the Cubs, but just for the simple fact that uh, the Cubs in that same off off season, excuse me, uh, essentially decided to let Jake Arrieta walk uh, and bring in you Darvish for for a pretty penny. Um, that's certainly been. Uh, an interesting decision. Uh, the spending on, on starting pitchers for the Chicago Cubs, as well as the spending on Jason Hayward, uh, won't necessarily define uh, the Theo Epstein era. That's already been done, in my opinion, with the World Series, um, especially with you know the 108-year the drought. Um, but I do think this post-World Series era of the Cubs could uh, potentially end up being defined by uh, some of these money decisions. Uh, it'll be interesting uh, to see there. Um, I, I believe we have uh, Joe back. I know we're getting close to the end of the show, um, but do you have any, any thoughts on, on the Philly Chicago Cubs series? And, and then uh, afterward, uh, I can bring you in for, for a streamer or two real quick before we head out. Yeah, I didn't even know at what point I got cut off. I really have no idea. I went over my article before I realized you guys were missing. Uh, I was. Um, I don't know about that series, but I just want I'll bring up the uh, one series I'm going to talk about real quick, and that's the Mets Nationals next week. Um, I think both of those teams are running out of time, and if one of those big statements in this particular series it might put them into the potential pitch. All three of their big guys, Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin against the Mets. The Mets are going to pitch DeGrom, Mats, and Wheeler. They're going to miss out on Syndergaard, but he's pitching the next day. It's a four-game series, too, so if one of those teams um, is a big dent in their 
going to make a difference going down the road in this uh, in this playoff chase. Um, how far into my uh, streamers did we go for anyway? I I don't I'm not sure that we got past the Monday one because I know you didn't have anyone on Tuesday. Um, and I don't know if we got to who you had on Wednesday. If you want to just throw out your uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays real quick as we wrap up the show, uh, that'd be fine. Yeah. I didn't go by days anyway. I just um, when I write my articles, I, I don't think about what day of the week it is, except unless they're a two-star picture. But let's see. Uh, on the email, it's the Wednesday that you had Merrill Kelly and uh, Jose Urena. And then Thursday yep. with Daniel Norris. Yeah, Urena is one of my favorite uh, for, for next. Um, I'm in by the matchups. Um, and Urena, let's see where is he? Urena is getting a. Uh, I, I put the, the, the um, opponents woba and their batting average basically, and a few other things. But the Tigers are hitting uh, of 278. The two batting average against righties. I'm considering Urena a must-start. Urena's pitching good lately. Um, Kelly, uh, let's see where is Merrill Kelly. I've never before. He's never made one of my articles. Uh, go against the Padres in San Diego. I always pick on the Padres. Uh, they're one of the in baseball. Um, they have a friend is 279 but and 217 batting average. Again, must-start. I'd call that a mustard. And uh, Kelly lately has been improving his line each start, each, each time he goes. That start, he all with six hits. Which, again, is not a good hitting team, but uh, things in Atlanta giving up three runs in a quality start loss. Um, he's got five quality starts in his last nine, which is hitting a little better than he uh, percent there. And, uh, against the Washington Nationals one that I'm looking at for next week. Uh, and again, it's a middle Toronto against the Blackfeet. And next week, the Padres. I already talked about the Padres. The Padres huh? And Daniel Norris was the other one you mentioned. Um, I've got him versus Miami Thursday. Uh, he's got home runs, which is a combination. And... Uh, Maybe he's been better job at and the um I think he'd be a now, which is hard to believe. Twenty years old. And uh he's got a four fifty rate now. Four fifty and which um is again is heading into a two seventy eight Woba against lefties away. And the last one I mentioned was Cal. Central, the Padres, they're calling them up for a start next summer. Quantrill's only 19% owned in uh, fan tracks. I'm not sure why he's even owned that because he's not even in the majors right now. But um, If you're having trouble finding a good start for next week, I think there's one you'll find on your waiver wire. Yeah, uh, some interesting names to consider there, Joe. Um, that that and that'll just about wrap us up for the show. Uh, I'll, I'll touch on uh, Brian's thoughts on, on what we've finished up on uh, for for his uh, last 
thoughts uh, or if he has anything else to add. Um, but I'll, I'll let you get off here, Joe. If you have any uh, last last thing to get off your chest or, or off the tip of your tongue before you head out, uh, please, please feel free to do so and have a nice uh, next week. Uh, you too, and I, I apologize for whatever happened before. I'm not sure if it was my end or your end, but um, it happened. Anyway. But, yeah, that's all I got. Thank you for having me. No problem, Joe. Um, and like I said, Brian, um, we're we're wrapping up the show now. I, I know uh, it was a little uh, broken up there at, at the end, uh, especially you know in terms of going back and forth and uh, you know getting getting to the finish here. But uh, feel free to touch on anything that me and Joe uh, said at the end there, or or whatever you uh, wanted to uh, end this up with. Uh, and you can go ahead and remind uh, people also uh, what you what you do here uh, in this business and uh, please go ahead and have a, have a nice week as well. Yeah, thanks. Uh, and actually, thanks for the last uh, chance because I, um, I just noticed what I, I missed this, that this series between the Phillies and the Cubs was a four-game series and Nola will pitch um, on Thursday against uh, Leicester. So I think that's worth mentioning because um, even though those other three matchups are interesting, then you get the Battle of the Aces on on, uh, on Thursday. So it is an interesting four-game set, um, which could go a long way in, in defining who's going to be the, one of the front runners with the Dodgers um, in the National League. Uh, but beyond that, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a good time here, and, and I look forward to being on uh, right after the draft with you guys and, and talk, talking about some of those guys that will probably – won't see you for a couple of years, but um, again, that's my next project with Major League Fantasy Sports is breaking down the amateur draft first week in June. And uh, well, that's when the draft is, and uh, we'll be we'll kind of be breaking down that a couple of weeks in a row um, throughout the rest of June for, for our readers. And um, obviously probably touch on it at least somewhat on the radio show this week following as well. So um, I appreciate the, uh, the time and had a good time as always and uh, look forward to the next one. Yeah, you take care, Brian. Uh, that's Brian Lurs once again of Real Deal Dynasty Sports and uh, one of our you know contributors here at Major League Fantasy Baseball. Uh, I've been Cole Friel. I've been your your host for this Sunday show. Um, sorry if uh, some things came off across a little choppy or we had some uh, a little bit of mix-ups at the end there with some. Uh, not normal uh, finishings to this show, but ultimately that's what happens uh, every now and then with a live show. Uh, thank you for bearing with us and hope, hope you had a good time. Uh, I'll be back Thursday uh, with Kyle Amore on one of the last two Thursday shows uh, before that Thursday show switches over to a football show. Uh, and I will also be back um, supporting Brian Roach as his co-host uh, as of next uh, or in a couple weeks rather uh, until then uh, see you next time.